You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. The collection of talks is called A Matter of Life and Death. And the title we're coming under today is Do Believers in Christ Face Judgment? And if I can, I'd like to just shift into teaching mode today. Be a lot less preaching and a whole lot more teaching because there's a lot of ground to cover and this might be the most important message you've ever heard in your life. Jesus taught us last week that there is an eternal destiny ahead of every single person. I didn't teach that. No preacher taught that. No church taught that. No denomination taught that. No body taught that. Jesus Christ taught that. And Jesus showed us clearly that for every one of us, there is an eternity ahead of us. And Jesus said, believers in him have an eternity ahead of them with God. And those who do not have Christ have an eternity ahead of them without God. And that's why he left heaven and came to earth in human form to take on our sin and shame so that no one would have to have an eternity without God. And Jesus obviously taught us that we are all going to give account of our life before we head into eternity. Now, I understand fully that there are a lot, not a lot of messages floating around right now about eternal realities in terms of destinations for people. It was so interesting for me, the feedback from last week. It, it was if, if I was a spiritual hero because I had preached about heaven and hell. And I was like, what happened to the church so that it's now like an outlier if someone preaches about heaven and hell? And I also talked to people in our church who were really wrestling and really struggling. They went away from the message last week and they were, they were in consternation they were having to really think through things. They didn't really know how they could embrace the magnitude of what Jesus was saying. And I understand that. This is a weighty matter. And I would guess many of you in this gathering would be wrestling with this even today. But Jesus is trying to help us and to show us and to, to shine light for us on the future. And even in Scripture, in Revelation, there's a terrifying moment. We always qualify terrifying when we use it uh, in any way about things of God. When we say the fear of God, we always say that doesn't mean you have to be afraid of God. It just means that you're in awe of God or you have reverence for God. Well, you know, there are things on earth. Have you ever seen anything on earth that terrified you? Has anybody ever seen anything on earth that God made that terrified you? Anybody been near a volcano erupting in full eruption before? close up, I have, where you could feel the heat of it on your face and you realize we need to get out of here, terrified by a volcano. But yet we say when we come to the last day and stand before a perfect spotless God, oh, we, you don't need to be afraid of that. Oh, I think there's going to be a little bit of terror when we stand before God. I think we are going to absolutely get on our faces as quickly as we can in a way that we haven't at any other time in our existence on planet Earth. Because God is bright, 
shining holiness. And when there is no filter and we see him as he is, I'm telling you, it is going to be something beyond anything we've ever even imagined. And at the end of Revelation, after Satan's doom is proclaimed, and we get a big amen on that, the rider on a white horse has come in to save the day and save eternity. It says in verse 11 of chapter 20, the dead... This is the little header above the paragraph. The dead are judged. John said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Obviously, the key in this paragraph and this picture that God is kindly sending a messenger on ahead of us to take a snapshot for us and to bring back to us on earth is the book of life. And so the question that we should be asking today is, how do you get your name in the book of life? And is my name in the book of life? And last week we heard Jesus saying himself, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. So I know how my name gets in the book of life. It is by my full belief in Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And personally, I know that I am currently fully believing in the person of Jesus and what he has done. And I know my name is written in the book of life. And so this great white throne judgment isn't for me. This great white throne judgment of the blazing righteousness of God is not for me. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I have been made righteous by the sacrifice of Christ and my belief in him. And I now in Christ miraculously can stand before the great white throne of God and know that I am eternally secure in him. But the question comes today, is that it for those whose names are written in the book of life? Last week, we talked about that instantaneous transition. Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to take your last breath. And, And we talked about it last week. And some of you have seen it with a loved one or a friend in that moment where they breathe their last breath, how in a nanosecond, they are gone. Their body 
becomes a shell in a heartbeat. It, it, it is now the vessel that it always was, absent of the person who was in it. And Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there's something else. And the something else is a really important something else. And that's really what we want to look at today. So let's turn to that passage again, 2 Corinthians 5, where we see this passage about leaving this body behind and knowing that believers in Christ instantaneously are in fellowship with God, seamlessly in fellowship with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what it says. It says, therefore, in verse 6, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live in faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, verse 9, we make it our goal to please him whether we are, are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all. Now, just let me back up here. The we here are believers. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. He's writing in all these things he's talking about, taking off our earthly body and putting on a heavenly body. Uh, at the end of this chapter, talking about stepping into the righteousness of God in Christ. He's writing this to believers. This isn't to just everybody going to that white throne judgment. This is to believers in Christ. And in verse 10, he says, for we, those of us who are believing in Christ, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In Christ, our eternity is sealed. In Christ, our guilt is taken away. But in Christ, we have been given grace. And now, as recipients of grace, we will stand before God to receive a recompense for how we lived with the grace that we have been given. And we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not going to change whether or not you're a son of God. It's not going to change whether or not you are sealed into eternity with God. But it is going to cause you to give an account of your life. When I was working on this talk a few weeks ago, the first illustration that popped into my head was um, the day that my dad and I had to go to the police station in Marietta, Georgia together. We'd received a phone call at the house, and they had requested that we come up there because I'd been in an accident that I left the scene of as a high school senior going into my freshman year at Georgia State. And I know that sounds terrible, and it is terrible, and I'm not making light of it today, but we had been at freshman orientation downtown, uh, which was a terrible idea. I don't know if they still do that or not. And um, we had stayed up all night on a Friday night, um, actually, I think it was a Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night, Friday into Saturday morning thing. And we'd stayed up all night, um, not doing anything super crazy, just been up all night. And I had taken, we decided not to stick around for the rest of it because we figured, you know, we can figure out orientation to Georgia State. 
So I took Andy home to Tucker where he lived and dropped him off at his house. And I had to come all the way around 285 to Smyrna where I lived. And um, it was a struggle. Boy, I got about halfway around that drive and I was just like fighting to stay awake. And we owned an old VW Beetle at the time. Not the cool new ones, the, the, the super old ones. And I'm driving around 285 in this thing, and I'm just like dozing off and trying to stay awake. And I don't know what happened. At some point, I just made a decision. I'm just going to lay down on the passenger seat and go to sleep. And that's what I did. And I know it sounds crazy, but that's how, you know, you get to that point. So I just laid over on the passenger seat, went to sleep. Right about the time I was coming toward the Chattahoochee River Bridge, um, and my car is just going all over the road, apparently. And finally, by the grace of God, instead of going into the river, I, I just hit into the railing on the bridge right as the bridge starts and bounce right off the rail. And this guy in this uh, pickup truck had been seeing all this unfold. And so he swooped in and got on this side of me. And so I came off the rail and hit him so that I wouldn't go careening over the other rail. And then, he, he, and then I hit the rail because I hit him. And then I hit him because I hit the rail. And then I hit him and the rail and the rail and him and him and the rail and the rail. And finally, we were coming to the other side of the bridge. And I, I'm awake by now. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And um, I pull immediately into the, uh, to the emergency lane. And he, he pulls into the other emergency lane. And I'm kind of a little bit in a fog, don't know what's going on. His car's damaged and he actually can't drive his car anymore. I don't know if I can or not, but I just put it in first gear and went home. And I know that's terrible. I'm not, I'm not, this is a terrible illustration. Um, I know all of that. <laughs> pulled off at Windy Hill, you know, kind of pulled the fender out a little bit because it was rubbing on the tire and burned my hands because it was on fire because it had been burning on the, rubbing on the tire. Went home, went to sleep, praise God. I really was tired. And um, <clears throat> a few hours later, the phone rang. That was the, when the police called. So my dad and I went down to the police station. He came home from work, got me, drove me up there, sat in the, the office of the policeman, and that was awesome. <laughs> and they were kind enough to uh, understand that I really wasn't trying to be malicious. I was really disoriented. I didn't really know a whole lot of what was going on, and I was really sorry. And then we got in the car to drive home. It was only like 15 minutes to our house from there, but wow, what a car ride. <laughs> and I knew in that moment that I was still in the Giglio family. So that didn't change. But boy, there were going to be some consequences. And as I worked through the message and the days went by, I started realizing because you've got to really work hard at illustrations, that that is a terrible illustration for my message today. So basically just wasted a lot of your time and really scared a lot of you and may have people leaving our church after this message. <laughs> Because the point of it in my illustration at the first was my relationship with my dad didn't change. The nature of me being a son was sealed forever, but yet my actions were going to require some consequences. And then the more I thought about it, prayed about it, worked through this talk and let the word speak for itself, I realized that's not what's going to happen when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because what my dad did was punish me. 
Make no mistake about it. And this, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, is not about God punishing you for the sins that you've done in your life. He has already punished Jesus for the sins that you have committed in your life. This appearing before the judgment seat of Christ is for him to tear back everything that we can see and then understand what is your true heart's response to the grace of God in your lifetime so that then you can be recompensed for what you have done in this life so that when you step into eternity, your eternity will be shaped by what you have done in this world. Heaven does not operate on socialism. You don't just pray a prayer and then we all get there and then we're all the same forever. Jesus does not teach that. We get there the same, all by the grace of God. But what your eternity looks like when you are there is impacted by how you have lived on earth. And this judgment seat, it's, it's called the Bema seat, if you've ever heard that. It's a Greek and a Roman term. It, it could either mean stepping up to give an account before a judge, or it could mean stepping up to receive an award after a competition. But you are going to step up before Christ. And you are going to give an account. I am going to give an account of my life, how I lived in this world, having received the greatest gift of all, the grace of God. There's some implications, and I'll give them to us quickly. The first one is this. No one skips out on this. It's not like getting a jury summons in the mail. And unless you're a model citizen, as soon as that thing shows up in the mail, you start looking for ways out. I got a business trip. I got a kid that's not feeling well. I, I don't have a transportation. And then you're calling the night before and you're hoping that your little lot number is not going to be mentioned and you get released from that. And it's not like that. The scripture says it's appointed unto man in Hebrews 9, 27, once to die and then the judgment. And that's your future. If, if you are not in Christ, you're going to be before the great white throne of almighty God. In Christ, you are going to be before the great white throne of God, spared by the covering of the blood of Jesus, but then you are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ. You're going to step up into that place, and no one is going to skip out on this. Keith Green said, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. The second implication I want us to see is that our motives are going to be seen and judged. So this isn't a thing for show. This isn't, hey, look, I, I went and served at the orphanage. This is what was the motive of our heart. Paul writes it like this in 1 Corinthians 2, or 1 Corinthians 3. He says, by the grace God has given me, 
I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. So this appearing before the judgment seat of Christ is about things being shown. Maybe some of the things that have been hidden now being shown. Some of the things in the darkness now being brought into the light. It will be revealed with fire. So there's a purifying, there's a testing. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. One of my professors used to say, a good translation of this, saved, Saved, eternally saved by the skin of their teeth. No, saved by the blood of Jesus, yes. But what is he saying? He's saying there'll be a time where things will be shown, things will be brought to light, things will be tested, and things will be revealed to quality, mostly meaning the motive in our heart for all the things we have done as bearers and recipients of the grace of God will be tested. There's nothing in this passage that Paul is saying where anyone's going to be punished, but people's work, their life, what they poured their energy, their time, their money, their intellect, their opportunity into is going to be tested. And he's saying in a lot of people's life is going to be burned up in that moment. But things that are gold, godly, and silver, holy, of precious metal and precious jewel, things done out of a pure heart in response and worship to Almighty God, those things are going to last. I wonder when in Revelation it says he'll wipe every tear from their eye, if maybe wrapped up in that is somehow, and, and this is above my pay grade to explain this fully, but somehow in the bliss of eternity, in the joy of being in the presence of God, there is a conscious understanding that our whole life just went up in flames. But even a good God says, let me wipe that tear from your eye. It's that story Jesus told that we looked at last week, how Lazarus, when he was up in the bosom of Abraham, this poor beggar, but then this rich man whose gate he laid at every day was down in the torment of an eternity without God and how he saw and he said, please go tell my brothers. It's a tear, both there and there, of regret that our motives got judged and our stuff got judged. And in an instant, it was just all gone. 
The third implication, and this is, uh, should get an amen. I haven't gotten one so far in this talk, but maybe this one, this will get one. Amen. Is that all wrongs will be made right when we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you've been wronged in a business deal by a brother or a sister in the faith, and the way it all came down was that it, it was you and it wasn't them, but you knew and they knew that it was them and not you. If there's something that's happened in your family where it all kind of went sideways and you know what is right and your family member knows what is right, but somehow it's all been purported as that you were wrong and you haven't had a way to justify that on earth, guess what? Everything's going to be shown. Everything's going to be revealed. Everything's going to come to light and everything will be tested by fire. And so you can have confidence that if you are standing before the judgment seat of Christ, every wrong will be revealed and made right. This is why the scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So you keep being faithful because there's a day coming when everybody's motive is going to come to light. The fourth implication is kind of another message, but it is that this changes everything about our perspective and purpose. At the end of 1 Corinthians 5.11, the paragraph changes, and it says, since then, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. And I want to encourage you to read from verse 11 down to verse 21. Now, verse 21 is our anchor. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is our reality if we put our faith in Jesus. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin so that we who were sinners could be made the righteousness of God in him. He got made sin, we got made righteous. This is the joy of our salvation. And when you go from, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to he made him sin so that we could be made righteous. You understand that your purpose in life completely changes. And we see all of that in the verses uh, that come down. Uh, we fear the Lord and we persuade men. I'll let you read the chapter later. We're crazy in our minds because of what he's done for us, but yet we're sane so we can talk to people and they can understand the gospel. We are compelled by the love of God. Why? Because we've concluded that one died, therefore all died, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again for them. We're made new and we see people new. We are reconciled, and so we have become reconcilers. We are ambassadors, and we have an appeal. We know that God made him sin, and we know that God made us the righteousness of God in him. The fifth implication is, and I mentioned this earlier, our eternal rewards are impacted by our lifetime decisions. Charles Stanley said, the purpose of the judgment is not where we spend eternity, but how? And then the sixth implication is this. Our goal, knowing this, is our future, is to please God. All of a sudden, all of our ambition, all of our 
goal setting, all of our dreams for our lives, all of our plans and destinies and all of our hopes for our future, they all get wrapped up in one grand idea. And the grand idea is this. Paul says it right in the middle of verse 9. For we are confident, I say, in verse 8, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, verse 9, we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or whether we are away from with the Lord, our new goal is that whatever I do in this life, I'm going to make sure I do this. I want to please him. I know my life was made by and for him. I know that I have the capacity to bring glory to my creator. I know that with my gifts, abilities, times, opportunities, the highs, the lows, the joys, the pain, the success, with my resources, with my words, with my actions, that I have the opportunity every single day, not just some days, every single day, and not just some days, every single hour, I have an opportunity to glorify Almighty God. This is my purpose. And therefore, Knowing that to be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. I make it my ambition in the body and away from the body to be pleasing to him. We are all going to stand and give an account for our lives, what we have done in this life. Not for our eternity if we are believers in Christ, but for the quality of our eternity, because Paul said he was running for a prize. He said in his last breath, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, same concept, Bema seat again, uh, but from the, the idea of standing up on the platform, standing up on the podium, getting to stand up where they put a, a thing around your neck and maybe uh, some flowers in your hands, or in this case, a crown on your head. He says, I know now that there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. So you can just underline that again today. We're standing before a righteous judge, not a crooked judge. We're standing before a perfect judge, not some human imperfect judge who's trying to do their best. We're standing before a righteous judge. And whatever happens in that day is going to get done right. No grumbling in heaven. Well, they didn't listen to mine. They didn't look at my thing. I told them I brought the thing and I showed it to them. They look at it. rip the thing up. They didn't even look at the thing. No grumbling in heaven. Because this judge is a righteous judge. And he will award to me on that day 
and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Not punishment, recompense. To say it a different way, this isn't punishment for sins. This is a reward for godliness born out of grace. And Paul knew. He'd, he'd said in a different place to the Corinthians, I, I, I'm running to win. I am pushing away things in this world. And I am even buffeting my body because it can lead me to some crazy places. And I'm running to win. And at his last breath, he said, I've finished my race. I have finished this race. I am going to step up on the podium of heaven. And I know I'm going to get my reward. You're like, well, that seems like a very selfish motive. It does. I did all this so that I could stand up on the podium and get a reward at the end of the day. It sounds like a selfish motive, I know. Except for this one thing, that the picture that we see in Revelation that John gives us of our future is that we are going to cast our rewards at the feet of Jesus. Because this is the craziest reward system of all time. This is the God who created us out of dust, knit us together in our mother's womb, gave us our first breath and every breath we breathed while we were on his planet Earth. He gave us our faculty. He gave us our gifts. He gave us our abilities. He put us into the opportunities. He sheltered us, nurtured us, and he guided us along the path of our life. Whether you believed in him or not, you're still breathing his air. Whether you've ever acknowledged him or not, the brain that you are using to say that you do not acknowledge the existence of God is firing synapses right now that were given to you at birth by a creator. You didn't make your brain. He made your brain. And everything we are and everything we have and everything we will be is because of the grace of God. I didn't put a gift in me to proclaim God's word. He did. I didn't put a Holy Spirit in me to anoint that word. He did. I didn't choose to stand up on this platform. He did. I don't have natural abilities. He gave me what I have. And so I am using what I have to try to tell the world about the one who gave me what I have and gave them what they have. I am proclaiming that there is grace and not damnation in our future if we just believe in the gift of the Son of Almighty God. And I am doing what you want to do. I want to give God worship and I want to please Him and I want to glorify Him. And all of that I'm doing, He's doing. It's not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the mystery. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. If we walk by the Spirit, we'll do the things of the Spirit. And so when we stand before him, we, we, we should have a lot to bring. And we should say, you know what? I'm good on the reward side. I got you. 
And he says, I know, but I am, I'm a good God, and I want to reward you for taking a stand. I want to reward you for facing persecution. I want to reward you for hanging in there when all your broken down flesh told you to quit. I want to reward you for the way that you went out of your way and saw that person that no one saw. I want to reward you. And then here comes whatever it is you have earned, a crown of righteousness being given to you by the righteous judge, Jesus himself. And Revelation says, and when we receive them, we don't strut around heaven. No. Revelation says we take these crowns and we cast them at the feet of Jesus. It's our last and final act of earthly worship. We're in heaven, but all of this was born in earth. And I'm telling you, God is, he's inviting you today. To not stand before him put a tiny little dinky crown at the foot of the Savior of the world and say, that's all I've got to honor you. Because all the rest of it just evaporated in the fire. Run to win for the biggest crown you can get so that you can lay the biggest worship at the feet of the Savior of the world. So well, what do I do? A, don't go to hell. Trust Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. B, get busy figuring out what pleases God and start doing it right now. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.